So gents, bonus episode this Friday, because we've got a lot to talk about, we've got a lot to discuss. Well, I'm not sure there's ever a week we don't have a lot to talk about, people obviously gathered that by now, but we've got four topics to talk about. Number one, no deposit required. It's a massive trend in the lettings industry, but is it absolute rubbish, or is it something you should be considering as a landlord? Number two, twice as many landlords are selling as buying properties at the moment. What's going on in the property market? Number three, the government targets 230,000 new homes are required. Let's talk about that. Number four, guarantors in tenancy. Massive spike in the number of guarantors over the last four years. Are they good, bad, or pointless? So gents, the other day, for those that don't know, I like a run. And I was out running and I ran past an estate agency board and it was showing to let. And on it, it said, no deposit required. That spiked conversation obviously in the office between us because if I'm a landlord and I've got an expensive asset and it will be a very valuable asset and I'm looking to put someone in that property to reward me with rent and I reward that tenant in this case with a good home to live in, what's the conversation what's the topics that you guys think good and bad that come from having a tenant in there that's not put down a deposit of their own cash what's your kind of overall take on it Tristan and in this podcast you know it's our own opinion so we can get controversial if we need to on this subject I'll go from the opinion first of all from some of the clients I've met previously in the past because over the last few years it's grown as we've seen over the years it's been really rolled out with a lot of agencies but their feedback to me is what incentive do tenants have to look after a property if they're not putting money down? There's no commitment. It's more of a financial game from the agency point of view because they make net profit on top of it. They pay a set fee to take out that, that service for the no deposit. I don't really think it's in anyone's interest in my personal opinion. And I think from the feedback of my clients as well, they're just not interested in it. And I don't mm. think there's been enough cases of disputes or claims to see how well it is on the back end side of things. I think it's still early stages. It's interesting. So, so Mike, let's rank it from the benefit of the agent, the benefit of the landlord, the benefit of the tenant. So if we start at the top, what is the true benefit to the estate agent? Why is it now very much in the industry? And why is it potentially a marketing campaign that a lot of estate agents use? Okay. so. The market leaders in the southeast where we're based charge an average of about £60 a month to a tenant as a privilege of having no deposit down. Now, the average deposit in our area is probably £1,400-£1,500, I guess. So your average tenant is paying £720 a year for the benefit of not putting down a deposit of £1,400-£1,500. And it's a cost. That's money they're never going to get back. Um... So that's the benefits to the agent. They're taking extra money off the tenant in lieu of tenant fees, which are now banned. Um, the benefit to a tenant is they don't have to put the money down right now. They can spread the cost. Now, we all know the the growth of buy now, pay later uh, deals on internet purchase sites like Klarna and, and, and everything else where you can go out and buy clothes from all the big stores and and pay over six months without paying anything else. In my opinion, it's a very similar 
strategy. Um, the only difference is you don't own anything at the end. You don't get a fancy pair of trainers. Um, where, where does the money go? So when the tenant's paying that £60 a month, £50 a month, £100 a month, where does the money end up at the end of the tenancy? Well, essentially it goes into the, into the agency's coffers. They're not buying an insurance product. And I think mo- a lot of tenants think they're buying an insurance product that if they leave the property and there's, there's problems like the carpet's being damaged, then that's going to pay out. It's not. Effectively, what it's doing is funding that estate agent to then chase the tenant for damages. So the tenant will still be chased for damages at the end of the tenancy. So it's not a saving mechanism to it's basically... It's a fee. Yeah, it's not adding to a security deposit at the end, which the tenant no. can then use. So it's a bit of a swindle, isn't it, really, in, in, in the grand scheme of things? Well, when you think the tenancy fee ban came in to stop, obviously, the admin fees that tenants would pay, in, in reality, it's just, it's just a monthly admin fee, is it not? Well, if you look at the average tenancy length, especially a family home what, five years, six years plus Mm. on a typical three-bedroom house locally. So over a three, if they're paying something like that, would be more than the the 60... Over over three years, yeah, you're going to be paying £21,000, £2,200. Yeah, so it's going to be far greater and off the back of it, you've got no money back. If you're a great tenant, you look after that property, there's going to be no deductions anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you was to pay the deposit you're going to get that money back when you leave. Yeah, and we know the average stats from the DPS, when we had the DPS on our podcast, the average deposit refund is in excess of 95%. So if you put £1,500 down, you're likely to get 1400 plus back, mm-hmm. uh, just with a couple of cleaning in oversights, whereas you could put, like you say, over three years, put £2,100 in, get nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a topical conversation that's not discussed enough that should be because I don't think it's I think it's just flown under the radar for, yeah. for the landlord and also for the tenant to understand yeah. so that's your agent benefit yeah tenant benefit as we said they, they don't have to put any money down right here right now um, there's a question is if your tenant doesn't have 12 1500 pounds in the bank to put in as a deposit are they the right tenant for you yeah is is kind of the, the devil's advocate question um, benefit for the landlord? Well, um, it means that the agent is is in control of the deposit handling as such at the end of the tenancy. So as and when it comes to the end of a tenancy, they make deduction claims and they're in control of the repairs. Now, again, you can look at this from, from both agendas. The agent's not really going to want to pay out on anything. No because it's going to be their expense first, which then has to be claimed back from a tenant. So the negative side of me says that agent's going to look to put everything down to wear and tear um, to save the admin time, because the admin time is what's going to eat into their profit on that scheme. Um, you could look at it as, you know, from the honest side of things, that it puts the agent in control. They can do. They have the total power over the tenant to go and make repairs, get painting done, get cleaning done, and then go after that tenant for that cost. Um, and they've got the money in the bank if they fail to get that cost. So that's a mixed one. But but from my point of view, I've got a question uh, for land. I'm a landlord, so I've got a question for other landlords out there. Would you rather? It's a good teenage game. Would you <laughs> rather? <laughs> would you rather your agent collected sixty pounds? a month additional money from your tenant pocketed it and then dealt with your deposit at the end or would you rather take no deposit from your tenant and they pay you £60 and then at the end of the tenancy whatever will be will be 
it's 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 a for me it's a no-brainer conversation because if I'm the landlord, I want commitment from the person living in my asset in my property, and I think maybe if we went to previous markets where maybe it was a competitive market there were loads of properties available to rent um, there wasn't as many tenants maybe as there are now prices were stagnant and there were some properties that were were empty you know that's you know we've all been in that situation where there's properties on the market they're empty and there's landlords losing rent it's a way of opening up a new segment of potential tenants that's not a problem at the moment that's the opposite of that you don't need extra tenants that like you say don't have the the deposit to go in so we want to definitely hear from our listeners and anyone that's seeing any of these clips we want to hear what you guys think about it because it's important to us um so that's that's kind of one of the points that we wanted to talk about mike what else were we going to discuss today Number two, question for you as the, the head sales guru on the podcast. Twice as many landlords are selling than buying. Why are they doing that? It's baffling, isn't it? It's absolutely baffling. And I think if we looked at the sort of if we looked at the sort of week two, week three, there was a bit of a, a crash in the stock market. So a lot of people decided, okay, we're gonna pull some of our money out of the stock market. A lot of cryptocurrencies, or cryptocurrency just fell through the floor. Um, and that was a lot of the big hitters that, that took money out of the stock market. But if you look at the property market, it's gone from strength to strength. But I do think in the same mechanism, investors in the property market are withdrawing, much like they have done in the stock market and like they have done with cryptos and, and various other investment sort of strategies as well. There is the whole thing, cash is king. And, you know, we were, we were dealing with someone yesterday, Mike, that's got a lot of money to spend on a rental property. They've just sold a... I think it was about five million pound property and they were very much we're not going to buy for the next 18 months because we're going to wait for the market to crash and kind of we looked at each other and smirked a little bit thinking it's a brave it's a brave yeah, it's it a brave is, gamble isn't it is that going to happen um but people have this view that put cash in the bank to pounce when it's right and you could potentially say now is a good time to invest in the stock market because certain parts of it have dropped down but People selling their investments, is it to do with the capital gains tax element of things? You know, we had that kind of phase out, didn't we? So have now people got to the point where it's not as profitable on a monthly basis as what it was previously. And if you've squeezed your finances to a certain point, are people now looking at it and going, actually, I was making a load of money on this monthly, but now I'm having to pay a little bit more tax at the end of my self-assessment. And I'm not happy about that. So I'm going to sell the asset as it went from 25 chunks over that four-year window that could be part of the reason behind it um maybe people have decided just to change in life you know we've seen a lot of people relocating so maybe people have decided to sell their investment property sell their their home buy the dream property on the coast or in the new forest or or, or relocate somewhere you know abroad potentially or, or buy a property abroad i don't know but it's a strange one because as we know, and we talk about on this podcast a lot, 10 to 12% increase in the home counties on average house prices, circa 400 grand as an average house price in this area. People that kept their property made 40 grand's worth of equity on average, you know, last year alone. And maybe they won't make that much money this year, but they'll make money this year. That's, that's a fact because of the way the market sits at the moment. But I know you're talking to, Tristan, a lot of people that have the opposite of that they're actively looking to buy and i think we could almost split landlords into two now old money new money and old money landlords seem to be looking at it and thinking actually we're going to pull our money out now and do whatever they're going to do with it and 
we're not 100% sure of the reasons why, but then there's new money where they've made a load of money in the COVID scenario in their business. Their business has been one of the um, one of the segments of the economy that's really flourished and they're looking at property as a great way to invest their assets. And it'd be interesting to hear the trends that you've got with the people you're talking to, some that have reached out from this podcast, which is great. Yeah, I've had um, a mixture of different scenarios. Uh, one, like you said, is specific industries where they've got a lot of cash sat there and the best thing to do is reinvest it into another business and they're looking to do it down a limited business route mm. um, I'm working with a couple now and they come specifically through uh, buy set of the week and, and through the podcast so that's something I'm seeing more frequently now um, there's a couple of other people that have just had cash sat there and they want a pension pot trades um, as well haven't they trades have just made so much money and continue to make so much money that they're looking at the thinking it's no good in the bank I don't want to buy another van and put another team out there I'm going to start putting some money into property because if it's a fixer-upper I'm in the trades I've got the contacts to make that work so yeah. there's a lot of people in, in that part of it which we did predict right at the beginning of this podcast when we when we first did the first couple of episodes we did say trades are so busy it'd be interesting and I think when we talked to Darren Parsons the accountant on maybe episode two or three we were saying we think a lot of tradies are going to be in a position where they do start to transition that investment and we, we've now started to see that and, and I think they're the new landlords I would say Mike yeah absolutely those people who are as you said done well over the last two years the mm. people have been absolutely fired through through Covid and got money sat in their business or sat in, in money that they could be taking as dividends but don't have the need to are looking to invest it somewhere and the obvious answer let's be honest to, to people who don't understand crypto stock markets nfts the obvious answer is, is bricks and mortar mm. I mean, my, my overall feeling about it is it's just like the economy maybe buy to let's quite cyclical so it runs in maybe decades or or, or, or half decade cycles of thick big lumps of investment so 2008 when the market crashed loads of people jump into buy to lets because property values have gone down and interest rates started coming down lots of people bought buy to lets 2015 just before stamp duty was going to increase lots of people buying buy to lets yeah. so the government kind of baited everybody in then switched and, and taxed everybody now the market's gone round in a full circle that now house prices are really high people are seeing they're now seven to 14 years into a buy to let cycle kitchens bathrooms need replacing on their properties and they think 10 or 15 grand to capital input into my property or cash in mm. and take my hundred thousand pounds out that i've done absolutely nothing to earn is now a good time to cash in yeah um everything has these cycles and i just wonder whether this is now going to be something that where you see if there's a big lump of buy to let purchases eight and 14 or whatever how many years later you're going to see a thick number of sales because people just buy then when the properties start needing investment putting into them they then sell them on yeah it's a great point i mean we spoke this morning to one of our clients that bought property with us last year the property's done really well like we kind of promised him that we felt it would do uh, the rental's phenomenal and he's kind of now looking at releasing some of that capital tax-free because he's, he's basically taking debt to then invest in a different type of investment strategy altogether which you know he's he's over the moon with the opportunity he's got which he wouldn't have had previously his property that he's going to pull the debt out of there's not going to be an increase in 
loan to value issues it's going to be the same because the property's gone up and he's pulled a little bit of that capital out and he's going to use it to, to reinvest so he's almost back at scratch with two investments rather than zero investments which you know is phenomenal literally buying a business with someone else's money quite literally yeah and you had a great yeah, win yeah it's, it's a good it's a good win but it's there they're, they're available all the time all the time at the moment i was looking at a live video from one of the avocado partners just thinking semi-detached family home great location ensuite garage to the side you know perfect property for what we always talk about that family home with the opportunity to potentially go to the side um Topic number three is very much around, this has been spoken about so much in the sales market on why prices go up. And the headline stat that came out from uh, Money Solutions and their blog uh, just this week was that the government are 230Ks worth of properties, 230,000 worth of properties down every year almost in the shortage of what should be getting built from a new home perspective. And I think we can we can strip this back down many, many different government groups that should have had that done for probably 15 years. And I think when I was talking about this five or six years ago, there was nine years where it had been missed and the deficit of what had been missed for the UK across that nine year, nearly 10 year span was effectively a city the size of Birmingham. That's the shortage we had. And that was probably six or seven years ago. So it's heightened now. Um, but what, what I want to talk about on this is sometimes I find when we go on social media and we're talking about landlords and we're talking about positive investment, you do find a lot of first time buyers, a lot of tenants and a lot of negative people that really jump down your throat and they're really, really rude, nasty in their comments. I know you had a troll on your socials just this morning. But the reason why I want to talk about this is because people say greedy landlords or they're affecting the prices or estate agents are making prices go up. But when we talk about the stat we just spoke about, two to one, so there's, there's half the amount of landlords, if that carries on, than what there is now. What that means is there's less properties to rent. And if there's less properties to rent and the demand is high, then the prices will go up. So if more landlords buy, there will be more properties for tenants to rent and the prices won't be as high. So the argument for the trolls or for the negative people, the first time buyers that get frustrated about landlords buying is ridiculous because actually the more landlords that buy property, then the better the rental prices will be, the more that people can save as tenants and the quicker they can become first time buyers. The less landlords there are, the more expensive rents will be and then people are calling the cycle where they never go on the ladder. So I just wanted to explain that to people when you, when you make that negative comment about a landlord, a landlord is supplying someone with a home. Some, sometimes a landlord is, is a very elderly person that's needed to go into care and they've had to rent their property out just to support their care until unfortunately they pass away. And that could be a landlord. That's not a rich person sat in an ivory tower. That's someone that's doing right by mother or father that's needed that scenario. So there's, there's all sorts of different varieties of landlords, but it's just important to remember the more landlords we can bring into the UK, and I don't mean bring them in from other countries, I mean bring them in that they're not landlords now into landlord positions, then the better for the tenant prices. And if it carries on at the rate it's going, it's just gonna be more and more expensive to rent. And, and that's the view that I would take on that. Take it, take the story and the headline to one side, but that's the facts of, of what will happen. I don't know what you guys think, Tristan. I think just to add to that, I think a lot of people don't realize what a landlord has to do to get that property. Some of them, like you said, is just a pension pot. Some of them are doing it as a bit of extra income for them, but they've worked all, 
worked hard for their money. They've paid tax on the money they've earned to buy that property, first mm-hmm. of all. Then they've paid the additional stamp duty, if it's obviously recently, they've paid the additional stamp duty, plus all the other costs involved to buy that property. Yep. If there's any work done on the property, plus keeping up with legislation where there's other costs involved to do that. Yeah. So there's a lot of commitment from the landlord to bring that property when there's a shortage as well. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's a business, not a charity as well. It's there to make money. And it's no different to any other business that's profiting because they're there to make money. That's what it's there for. So I think I agree with you, what you're saying, but I think also they need to understand what's involved from the landlord side to bring that property to market for them to rent. Yeah. If it wasn't that property, there'd be a lot more homeless people. Yeah, but and, and prices would be higher. And also you make a good point about it's a business, the landlord's paying their taxes and they're adding to the economy with works orders and, and that's something which is which is a positive for the economy but people look at it in a in a different perspective, don't they, I think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, a landlord who works full-time pays 40% tax on the profit that their rental property brings in, which I don't know the numbers, but I'm sure that's a huge amount going into the Exchequer every single 12 months. Um, there's a slight flip side to the argument, which landlords, to an extent, do slow the housing market down because if a first-time buyer buys a two-bedroom flat there's a good chance they'll move out of that two-bedroom flat in three to four years Mm -hmm. as they grow up and grow older and their family grows whereas if a landlord buys a two-bedroom flat they're likely to own that investment for 10 to 15 years so it does slow the market down which i get that criticism there's another side to landlords which is probably a more aggressive point is holiday lets and airbnbs because the amount of occupation that these property has is tends to be less than 50% of the year. Mm-hmm. And is that a waste of accommodation in the UK? It's probably a chat for another day, but mm-hmm. where there's people who are struggling to find homes, there's a lot of empty properties that, that are sat on Airbnb because they only need to be rented for 30 or 40% of the time of the year. Yeah, I think we should... Definitely, if you're listening and you know someone that's an Airbnb landlord or, or they use their business model through Airbnb, holiday lets, etc., someone that's maybe looking into buying a holiday let as well, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get them on the podcast and have that conversation because it is a, is a topic that's popped up every now and then. So, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, fourth and final part of the agenda, not one that's uh, going to come without controversy, I'm sure, but let's get into it. So, Mike, what's number four on this agenda? Okay. Guarantors. Guarantors have been around since the dark ages on tenancies. If your tenant can't quite afford the rent, or they've got bad credit history, or they're still in a probation period at work, your agent will introduce the idea of a guarantor. Good, bad, or pointless, Tristan? I think it comes down to the individual's circumstance. I think we all know, from well, from we know from a, an agency background, most negotiators are targeted to doing lets, how many they can agree a month for them to earn their commission basically. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna do everything in their power to get them in. Once they've moved into that property, whether they pay rent or not, that negotiator's still gonna get paid the commission on that property. So they're gonna do everything they can to agree that deal to make it happen. I think if someone's got a large CCJ on their name and it's active and they're still trying to push it through, I think that's a massive negative. Um, But if it's, for example, I I had one the other day where it's for his mother, she's moving from from overseas, but she's in her 80s, she's got a a pension money, but it's only the equivalent of sort of 16,000, which fell short of affordability, but the uh, the son uh, owns a buy-to-let, which is tenanted currently locally. 
Um, he owns his property uh, and is uh, on a very good income. He's going to top up the difference for the um, for her shortfall. I think circumstances like that, where it is an elderly person, where they can't go out and work because it's just just not right. Um, I, I think the circumstance can be considered, but. I think it's a case by case and it really needs to be considered from that but just be careful because the agents incentivise on how long they can let the property for because they're paid more money mm -hmm. and they're just trying to force the deal through so really assess the situation case by case um, uh, and make a decision on that so I spoke to an agent yesterday which this is the reason why this is on our agenda board they said they get a guarantor for every single property regardless of situation regardless of referencing um, they want a guarantor so if Dave and Sally are moving into a property they're a couple right get who's your guarantor chance are that's going to be a family member Ian as a landlord extra security for you or is it just extra paperwork <laughs> It makes a bit of sense when you kind of talk it in that way and you say, here's your tenant and here's your backup with the finances because inevitably one month lost of rent has a big impact to most landlords at the moment. It you know, would do for me with, with a mortgage on the property. It's a property for my kids' future. It's a pension property, that particular one I'm thinking about now that's got a family in there. So having a backup option just seems like a sort of logical thing to me. Having the security, we, we talk about it a lot, when you're kind of almost lining up and you say you've got a particular property and you've got five offers on the table and you're looking at splitting hairs with which tenant to choose, if you've got an individual tenant on their own that might be a fantastic tenant that's going in there as a single person versus a couple that have got maybe equally the same amount of income as the single tenant so they're a better paid tenant versus two halves that add together as the same you still kind of look at it and say well the security is in the two tenants because if one loses a job the other one can pay for it so you're almost creating that with what you've just said there but it comes down to individual circumstances because if you're getting a guarantor because someone's got bad credit history then their credit history is dictated that they're not good with money so would you want them in your financial asset but if you've got someone for different reasons like you mentioned there that needs the guarantor then then that makes total sense but to me it, it if you've got the right tenant in the first place as a tick one fantastic that's great news it comes with common sense it comes with good estate agency letting agency work it comes with right questions from the landlords you know if you're a landlord that's just saying what's the rent what's the term and nothing else then ask yourself, are you asking enough questions? Because you want to know the detail of the tenant. And from my point of view, then it comes down to put all of that into one package and say, is that the right person to be moving into my property? I reckon that would eliminate, based on that circumstance, that would eliminate so many international people that move for work. Because the amount of people we deal with on a day-to-day -day that move from India, move from Hong Kong and different places, most of us don't know anyone in the UK. So first of all, to have a guarantor, for them to pass referencing criteria, they need to be a UK-based guarantor. So what protection or, or you can't help anyone from overseas if they do that on every, every property, how would that work? Well, that's, a, that's, that's part of the question. It's part of an open question. You know, we're looking at good, bad or pointless. So if you've got a single person who's working at a company down the road and one of their parents is willing to guarantor when they don't even need to, well, that's a good thing. It shows extra commitment because mm. no, no one wants a letting agent ring in their parents to say they haven't paid the rent that month. It doesn't look great. Yeah. 
bad? Well, bad guarantor is one way you absolutely need it because the tenant's no good in the first place. And pointless? Well, you just explained it. Pointless idea is, well, you've got a great tenant, but they just happen to be moving from overseas and fresh into the UK. And those people need rental properties. And it's pointless trying to get an overseas guarantor because your chance of chasing someone who's in a different country is frankly, well, you've got two hopes. One of them's called Bob. So there we go. We, we wanted to really put our own opinions into this. It's great having guests on and it's great getting different people's specialities. But we're also, we're on the ground with this. We're doing it every single day. Um, we're talking to investors daily. We're talking to portfolio landlords, accidental landlords, tenants, tradies. And for us, it's great to kind of use this podcast as a way to give back our knowledge with no charge, just so that people can see what's going on day to day. So that's always been the vision and the purpose of the Landlord Page podcast. It's been a really good episode talking to you guys and and getting some information out there. If anyone's got any questions about this episode, then obviously DM us. You can get hold of our mobiles, emails within the post, and we're happy to have a conversation with people about your next investment, selling your investment. Even if you're a tenant or or a, a future tenant or a future buyer and you've got some questions around how to get yourself on the ladder you know we'd love to help people get on the ladder and and buy their first investment or their first property so until the next time until next friday mike tristan it's been a pleasure i'm flicking through youtube and through spotify i don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on youtube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something i mean it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question but why not ask that question to a wider audience they just have the knowledge there but they don't seem to share it can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio the rules change every year yeah but why not just open the floor out and just say well is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax, and obviously a stamp duty cost that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.